This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Our lead guest today is Arizona Secretary of State and candidate for Governor Katie Hobbs. Later in the show, Dick Rowe would have been 100 this week, our annual and perhaps final tribute to this icon of oops. And later on as well, Grand Canyon Institute Research Director Dr. David Wells will talk the state, talk to us about state revenues and the proposed tax cut and flat tax proposal. Secretary Hobbs, welcome back to the Think Tank. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, some call it an audit. Others call it a recount. Others have called it a fraud. Uh, I want to ask you what's been going on over in what they used to call the Madhouse on McDowell, the Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And obviously, uh, I've read your editorial. You have some problems with it. Well, and many people have pointed out that Madhouse on McDowell is an appropriate uh name for the Coliseum with what's going on right now. And my office does like to call it the fraud it. Uh, so, you know, it seems like they're, um, they're, they're wrapping up there, but you know, this whole thing, it's not, it's the furthest, furthest thing we can get from what would you, what you would see in a real post-election audit. And, um, you know, there, these are not election experts. They are not independent, Um, They are making this up as they go along and everything that they've set up there in terms of the lack of procedures, the inconsistencies, the the lax security has really just set up an atmosphere that's prime for cooking the books. Uh, Their their intent is not to validate the election results. It's to continue to sow doubt, to continue to undermine election integrity and to continue to promote the big lie that. Um, Donald Trump won the election. And they've been looking for ways to get a foothold uh, to do this around the country. And Arizona was the first place they were able to do that. They are writing the playbook here to take it to other states. And um, I have said many times and will continue to say, this is dangerous to our democracy. I'm sure you saw the editorial uh, by uh, Jonathan Rauch uh, on Sunday. He, he made essentially that point that the purpose of this isn't even really about this election. It's to set up an environment where the next election can be challenged. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to point out that that we have built into our statutes and procedures post-election auditing um, going on. So there's a, a random sample hand count audit that's done in every county. There's a post and post-election logic and accuracy test that's done in every county. These are, are, are already baked into the processes that we, uh, that, we, that we utilize. And there are challenge periods where someone who has legitimate evidence of election fraud or other irregularities can go to courts and bring that evidence to court. And that happened nine times in Arizona, and there was no evidence. And so what's going on here is really something that's not contemplated in statute. And um, it, it is um, it is not how we can continue to, to, to do elections. I mean, th- this is akin to a losing team who keeps trying to go back and and replay the game, um, but there's no there's no you can't do that. I mean, this is 
this is not how we do elections in our country, and it's certainly not how we should start doing them. Have they been uh, clear, the folks who are doing the, the whatever you call it, audit fraud at, uh, at the Coliseum, have they been clear what their problem with, or to what extent is their problem with the accuracy of the voting machines, or is it that, or is it something else, or it is, is it kind of all of the above? I think it's it's all of the above. And, you know, people have asked many times, like, how does this end? What are they trying to, to accomplish here? And we don't know, except that um, they're they're going to continue to um, further the claims that they've made since the election that um, that Donald Trump was the real winner, that he's still the um, legitimate president um, and and um, further undermine people's confidence in in our system. There, there's nothing that can happen here, no matter what the result is, that will change the outcome of the election. The period to do any of that is over. Um, but but they're they're laying the groundwork and 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 writing the playbook for how do we um continue to challenge elections in the future if our side doesn't win. Well, most of the effort seems uh, the physical effort seems to be in manually counting. Mm-hmm. What I found impressive was I'm sure you're familiar with the the offer from the former election officials down in Tucson to said if you suspect the voting machines are are not accurate, we have gotten through a freedom of information request the tally of the votes by box, a physical box. They got hundreds and hundreds of boxes and they got a freedom of information request and they got the tally for boxes. So they say, pull any box you want that hasn't been opened yet. And we'll tell you in five minutes what that count. You can go ahead and count them by. by and to me, that would be the definitive, not just one box, but I'm sure they would have done it for several. If, if in every instance, the count that you get with a manual count is identical to the ones that you get with the machine for randomly chosen boxes, that would be once again proof that the voting machines themselves are accurate, correct? They're not interested in real answers, though. But yeah, you are correct. They're there, but they're not interested in finding the truth. Uh, you uh, made an interesting statement about the voting machines now themselves being compromised. Uh, it wasn't clear whether you said they're they're simply not usable or may not be usable. But uh, it's certain given that Talk to us about about the impact on using those machines again. Yeah. So so um, one of the claims made by the folks conducting this this exercise is that there's so much transparency because we have these cameras 24 seven. And quite honestly, the video feed coming out of there is pretty useless. Um, and the machines, the equipment was stored in a room that doesn't have camera feed. But even if it did, we still wouldn't know everything that was done to the equipment. And when we when the court ordered uh, that that the independent election experts that we had um, reached out to could come in to observe, or they had to allow them in to observe, um, the first person we had on the ground was an election expert, um, an equipment expert, and he wasn't even allowed into the room where they had the equipment. Even if he had been, there's still no way to know what they did to the equipment, if it's been tampered with and compromised. And the, the bottom line is that the chain of custody of the equipment has been irreparably broken and guidance from CISA, the, um, the critical infrastructure overseeing elections uh, in, the, in Homeland Security, uh, is that if the chain of custody is broken in the way it has been in Maricopa County, that, that the 
the best thing to do is not use that equipment again for a future election because there's no way to determine what has been done or if it is compromised. And we had notified Maricopa County of this concern before um, before they turned everything over. And, you know, we're, we were trying to convince them to appeal this ruling that allowed the subpoena to move forward. And that was one of the reasons for it. Um, and this is what happened and this is where we are. And so our recommendation uh, and, and we will proceed with decertifying the equipment if they don't intend to replace it. That's consistent with what I've heard about from computer security people, mm-hmm. not about this election, but in general, when asked the question, how can you be sure that a voting machine is uh, is accurate? And the answer is it must never have had any external, uh, you know, thing plugged into it, must never have been on the Internet, must never have had a foreign uh, USB fob put into it because once there's the possibility that happened, no computer expert can 100% guarantee that something invidious isn't in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we have many procedures outlined for um, the security of the equipment, including um, down to every single USB drive that's utilized to transfer data from one to another um, has to be brand new. And our office procures these so that we're ensuring that they're coming from a reputable source. And, you know, um, so so that's just one of the, the, the aspects. But, but all of the equipment is air-gapped, um, and that's just a basic... Um, a basic election security uh, 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 standard or best practice. We'll be back with Secretary of State Katie Obbs in just a moment, talking about the vote recount, uh, audit, fraud it, take your pick in just a moment in the think tank. Let the river run. The think tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Secretary of State Katie Hobbs talking about the uh, actions uh, over at the Veterans Coliseum pursuant to what some call a fraud, what others call an audit or a recount. I want to ask you about a colleague of yours here, uh, Republican County Recorder Steve Richer. Uh, He was commenting on... uh, the uh, 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 I guess it wasn't a tweet because the president didn't cut off a tweet, but a statement by President Trump saying that the entire voting uh, file of uh, Maricopa County has been deleted. Uh, this is a Republican elected official. He says, uh, in, in I think this was a tweet, he says, A, this is unhinged. B, on my other computer right in front of my eyes, I'm seeing it right here, right now. This is unhinged. Uh, What is going on? There seems to be a bifurcation of uh, Republican officials, some of whom seem to me to be terrified to say anything. Others like uh, uh, County Recorder Steve Richard, when he counts something that's false, he says so. Yeah, and I want to first um, touch on the underlying issue that the tweets or comments were about. Um, And and it's just another indicator of the fact that what's going on here is not a real audit because you would never see um, information about what is being found 
um, you know, released by the folks conducting the exercise. And there, this claim, this false claim about a deleted database was made by the Arizona Audit Twitter account. It was a flat out lie and just helped to fuel the misinformation and conspiracies that are out there about what's going on. And so I think that's an important uh, thing that also indicates this is not a real audit. Um, but that aside, um, yes, I am so thankful that um, Republicans like Stephen Richer and the other folks on the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors are starting to speak up about this, about these attacks on their professionalism, that their conduct of their duties, um, that they have sworn an oath to the Constitution to uphold, and um, and the and and these attacks on our democracy. And and I do think there has been a lack of willingness to stand up. Um, even by folks who know the truth and they and they, you know, they they don't support this audit and they think it's um, not shouldn't be happening. But the political consequences have proven uh, to be severe and many people aren't willing to stand up um, and say what's right because of those political consequences. And I'm grateful for those who have. Among elected officials, do you think there are many who actually believe this or are they just afraid to speak up? I I think many of them are afraid to speak up. I think the ones who believe it or are willing to utilize it to further their political agenda, they're they're speaking loud and clear. Um, And the other folks who are remaining silent um, are just um, I just think they are not willing to face the political consequences for speaking up. Another thing I wanted to ask you to comment related to this whole recount business, uh, federal department of justice said that this may in a letter said this may violate federal voting laws requiring the preservation of election records. Yes. Yeah. There, there is federal law um, in federal elections that ballots have to be retained and um, they have uh, done a lot of harm to the chain of custody of ballots um, the security of ballots has proven to be very lax, um, as, as noted in observations from our independent election observers that are in the room. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, there could definitely be a violation here. And, um, you know, other states that where they're potentially looking at audits have helped us to um, raise the alarm with the Department of Justice about this specific issue. And, and I think that to amplify, I think the concern there is if you don't maintain the proper chain of custody, let's say a truly independent group wanted to come in and do a recount or do a logic check again on the voting machines, given that you can't certify that either has been preserved in pristine format, any subsequent work that's done on that would be questionable. Absolutely. And that's one I think that it would be it will be highly unlikely that anyone would be able to come in and a replicate whatever result this audit comes up with, but also actually go back and validate the certified election results because of um, how the ballots have been handled in this situation. Uh, I, I thank you for joining us. I have just one very short and, and somewhat whimsical question. I wonder if you'd comment. Uh, columnist Lori Roberts suggested that Attorney General Brnovich is running for the Senate because he wanted to duck you in deciding <laughs> not that you were for, too formidable to ru- run against for governor. Well, he's not wrong. Uh, so. <laughs> 
A confident candidate. Okay. Arizona Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs. We hope you'll come back uh, on another occasion, maybe maybe uh, sometime in the course of the campaign, if not before. And thank you for returning once again to the Think Tank. Thank you. Glad to be here. We'll be back in just a moment and talk about a couple of other issues uh, when we return. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. I want to start by thanking Arizona Secretary of State uh, Katie Hobbs for joining us earlier on. wanted to amplify on one thing on this topic, uh, and it was a, a beautifully constructed, somewhat scary uh, editorial ran in the Arizona Republic on Sunday by a fellow by the name of Jonathan Rauch, who turns out is uh, in a Washington think tank, but is, among other things, a, a, a graduate of Camelback High School. So he's got roots back in the valley. And the thing that he talked about that was really staggering to me, he said, in terms of this audit, not only is it a partisan company that has uh, no prior experience in actually doing an audit, the audit has already been done twice by Maricopa County, by independent, genuine auditors. But what he says is, why is this happening? He says the real answer is to manipulate public opinion and not to change the results in this election, because there's nothing going to change that. He says, and I think he makes a case here, the goal is to manipulate social and media environments and thereby divide and disorient and di- demoralize voters. And in this sense, he compares this to, uh, uh, he quotes a Soviet intelligence defector in 1983. And he said, basically, the idea is to change the perception of every American to the extent that despite the abundance of information, nobody feels like they're able to come to serious conclusions. And they just throw their hands up and say, we don't really what happened? He said, this is classic Russian-style disinformation tactics. And he relates this also, he, he quotes Hitler, who says, you know, who cares that they laugh at us? They treat us as fools or criminals. The point is that they talk about us and they, and, and they are always focused on us. And he draws an analogy, says this is the same technique as was done with birtherism, which, which was also which was this false claim with no evidence whatsoever that Barack Obama had been born somewhere else. No evidence ever, but it floated around in this kind of commute, uh, conspiracy bootstrapping, he writes, is especially insidious because it's tra- it traps us. He says, so if somebody says, oh, the, the election's fraud, we have, to, we have to recheck it. If you say no, then the answer is, well, what are you trying to cover it up? But if you say yes, you're giving credence to something that has no evidence behind it whatsoever. And remind you, this has already been audited twice. 
everything checked out. There's essentially nothing left to do. The counting over there, they've already counted this stuff. And the the real tell was this group in Tucson who said, you know, you've got these 500 boxes or I don't know the number. It's hundreds of boxes of already counted ballots. The uh, Maricopa County uh, recorder released through a Freedom of Information Act, released for them separate counts for each physical box of ballots. And they said, here, you don't believe the machines. You randomly select any box that's not already been opened and you count the ballots. And we will in five minutes before you even done counting them, we will in five minutes tally what we have from basically just reporting what they've already gotten from the county. And we will tell you the results, not just in the president and Senate that they're counting, but for every single race, we will tell you the exact tally of votes in there. And you can go ahead and hand count those and you're going to come out with the same number. And it was very telling that they refused to take up that offer because that would be a definitive answer to the question are the machines accurate? Of course, it wouldn't answer any other question that somebody could make up like, you know, did somebody fly in bamboo ridden ballots from China? Or as uh, I watched a television report on election night, there was a bunch of demonstrators out in front of the recorder's office saying this recorder here from television is shipping in. Uh, fake ballots in boxes, and he opened up his uh, his van, and it's filled with television equipment. No, no ballots, no evidence. But the point that he's making is that if we swamp the system with partial truths or outright fiction, it doesn't matter how inconsistent, how self contradictory they are. They just, I mean, stuff like somehow a dead Venezuelan dictator was in on the plot, or you name it. And essentially, it, what this whole thing is doing is playing mind games with the public just to instill the insidious idea that uh, somehow uh, there's something wrong with this. And, you know, if you say don't do it, again, the trap is if you say this is ridiculous, don't do it, then the response is, what are you hiding? And the answer is, you're not hiding anything. But if you say, yes, go ahead and do it. You're, you're kind of implicitly saying that it's not total nonsense. And, of course, if you were going to do it for real, you'd turn it over to somebody that had some uh, independence and some experience in doing that. That's, that's uh, my, it was my, my take, but it, it was really a credit where to do. Jonathan Rauch, uh, who is a, uh, in a Washington think tank and has ties back in Phoenix, wrote what I thought was an absolutely brilliant statement of some of the risk of this. We'll be back in a, in a couple of minutes here with David Wells to talk about flat tax and Arizona the tax system. When, when we return in just a moment. In the water, through the fog, your sons and daughters, let the river The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Welcome back to The Think Tank. Mike O'Neill here with David Wells, the research director for the Grand Canyon Institute. Full disclosure, I'm a board member of that 
organization. But before we get to him, I promised a, a final tribute to this week saw the 100th birthday of Mr. Dick Rowe, who was a record executive who took a pass on a, a British group uh, the, called the Beatles, uh, informing Mr. Epstein, the group's manager, that, and I quote, guitar groups are on the way out, Mr. Epstein. I'll take a, I'll take a pass on your group. A monument to oops. So that's our, uh, we, we've done an annual tribute here for about the last eight years. He would have been 100 ha- were, he, were he still alive. Uh, and uh, obviously he, his legacy has outlived his life in that regard. Welcome, David. Uh, welcome to Think Tank. Yeah, and hopefully uh, our legacies will be different. <laughs> yeah, I, that, would, that would be a good one. Not to, Well, you know, at least it wasn't a serious one in that, uh, you know, uh, the, the world didn't end over that. <laughs> uh, he did redeem himself in some subsequent work, but that that'd be a tough one to pass on. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you, you've written a number of reports for the Grand Canyon Institute. Why don't you, you know, give us a 30 second on what the Grand Canyon Institute is. So the Grand Canyon Institute has been around for about 10 years. And what we try to do is in, inform um, the public and policymakers about um, the largely the economic and economic impacts of uh, different policies. So it's not simply based on ideology that we think if we do this, something will happen, but not have any evidence or grounding for it. Uh, we look for the evidence and grounding, and when there's no evidence or grounding, we try to call policymakers on it to help them be more informed before they make decisions. Okay. Uh, your most recent work, three reports, uh, basically on our taxation system. Essentially, a lot of it has the theme of, well, what's happened when we've, we have in Arizona, you make the case here through data, uh, that uh, we have lowered to Arizona taxes on the well-off on a consistent basis over the last 20 years. What's happened? With, what, what have been the results of that? Okay, so the ideology is that, you know, if you give you have lower tax rates, then the productivity of the state's supposed to go up. And as a context, that would mean everybody's um, wages should uh, rise overall. And what we found uh, looking at Arizona, and we compared it to states that had other kinds of tax systems as well, is that we've actually declined relative to the national average over the last 20 years, even though we've massively cut the income tax rates from a top rate of 7% to 4.5% over that uh, time period. And so there's really no evidence to indicate that uh, it's actually improved the productivity because the productivity, it's one thing to say the GDP goes up because people move here, uh, but it's another thing to say the GDP per worker goes up. And that's what we were looking at. And what we found is uh, states, I know this will be like horrors to the um, Ducey administration, but California, um, Oregon, which both have very high uh, marginal tax rates on uh, higher income individuals, as well as Washington that has no income uh, tax at all, uh, both uh, perform much better than the national average, while Arizona was a bit less and Nevada was much less. And then states like Colorado, Utah, and Texas were about the same as the national average. Do you have an explanation for the Washington anomaly? Because absent Washington, the argument might be that uh, higher marginal tax rates are are a good thing. I think largely it's because tax policy doesn't make a lot of difference in terms of what happens. Um, so, um, so for instance, you know, we uh, talk about, for instance, being the Silicon Desert here. So we have this agglomeration effect where Intel and Honeywell and some other companies have come here and has created a base of strong uh, uh, jobs and so forth that folks and, and it's Raytheon down in Tucson 
um, and other things. It creates a base of really strong jobs that feed off each other. And you see that in California with um, uh, in the in the San Francisco area in particular, uh, where you know you see lots of venture capital and all kinds of um, investments that go on uh, in all kinds of uh, areas of our new economy. Um, and that's despite all of the high tax rates and high land prices in California. And then of course you have uh, uh, lots of employers like uh, Boeing and Microsoft and so forth in Washington state um, that create that same kind of effect up there. Um, Oregon is, uh, most known for Nike and other folks. So I think it's largely those kinds of economic um, cores that are inside the states. And those cores are really important. Um, and states that don't really have them as strongly simply don't benefit as much regardless of their tax policy. I, I think by core you're referring there really to a wealth of highly educated workers, right? You're talking high tech stuff where, where you need the creme de la creme of workers. Right. And especially things like engineers and so forth. And that's why we think it's really important for Arizona to invest in education, because the one area where we lack uh, is in high school graduation rates. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, our high school graduation rates are among the five lowest in the country, and they've been there for quite a while. So the idea that we have, even though we have lots of school choice, it hasn't really affected the ultimate outcome, which is we want to get kids to graduate from high school more. And we want more kids to go to college because the idea is if we can improve the all of overall base of the education level of our workforce, that's going to make more companies want want to come to Arizona for the right reasons, not because they want to come here to pay people lousy wages uh, and create jobs that way. We want people to come here to create really uh, strong jobs that pay um, good wages and good salaries uh, and feed off of each other. Because uh, you know, once you get those that location um, synergy going, it can really be helpful. And I think that's what we've been trying to argue is the best way for the state to move forward in terms of having a stronger economic growth pattern going into the next 20 years. How does Arizona stack up uh, compared to these other Western states in terms of, you mentioned high school graduations, but I imagine most of these high, high tech firms are more interested in college graduates and for that matter, people with advanced degrees. Right. And so we've been lacking in that area, too. So one of the things that uh, we've kept track of has been how have um, the states changed overall? So we looked at um, so you look at, for instance, the number of people with a bachelor's degree. Um, and this is and working at the workforce, 25 to 64 year olds. Um, and we want to improve that. We have 19 uh, percent of our uh, workforce has a bachelor's degree and 11 percent have a graduate degree. That's 30 percent of it. Um, in California, the numbers are 23 and 13. So it's 36%. In Colorado, it's 28 and 15. So that's 43%. Um, and uh, in Texas, it's 21 and 11, 32%. Uh, Utah, 24 and 11, 35%. So we're at the bottom of those things. Close and, to Texas, but serious, uh, in my quick arithmetic, close to Texas, but pretty far behind the rest of them. Yeah, and it's, it's the idea is that we should make that a real priority. And you can't make priorities by just saying you have a priority. You have to actually do a strategic investment in it. So like, for instance, in community colleges, for instance, um, the legislature, we used to fund at the state level about 10% of their overall revenues. Um, and now we do about a third of that. Uh, and we, so we argue we should go back up to that. We've got the funds to do that um, because, you know, the community colleges are the folks that are sort of specialized, especially in folks who are new to college and so forth. They're a good entryway and to transfer on to U of A or ASU or NAU. Um, and so that's important. And we also have defunded our universities. We're probably led the country, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, and how much we've defunded our universities over since the Great Recession. And we need to, you know, come back and really think about 
putting money into the universities and doing criminal justice reforms and therefore ending up putting less money into prisons. So it's a reorientation of things that we just haven't seen the level of fiscal leadership that we'd like to see at that level, even though there's a lot of talk about the importance of these things. Well, if you uh, implement a flat tax, which the estimate I saw was it would decrease revenues by about 1.9 billion, which is ballpark 50, I think 15% of the discretionary budget of the state. It's hard to see how you give anything more to education. In fact, more likely to cut than to increase with that kind of a tax cut or else, I mean, there's, is, there's no other pot where that money can come from, is there? No, I mean, I think right, right now um, there's a projection that we might have a $1.5 billion ongoing surplus. And surplus here is defined very narrowly. It's defined in terms of what the you know, legislature is required to fund, uh, ignoring the things they've chosen not to fund that they're supposed to fund. So there's a community college funding formula, for instance, that they're choosing not to fully fund. Uh, and uh, and the idea is that they actually want to cut taxes by $1.9 billion uh, if Prop 208 is upheld by the Supreme Court in Arizona. Um, and Explain uh, Prop 208 since you said it. So Prop 208 is the um, education uh, surcharge of 3.5% on the top 1% of taxpayers in Arizona. Um, that goes to fund partly teacher salaries, a little bit of reduction in class sizes, a lot of um, effort to improve the teacher pipeline by uh, providing subsidies to uh, universities to provide better training and um, provide more financial aid for people to go into teaching. Um, so that's essentially what uh, Prop 208 uh, provides. And that was voted on by the people, not as right. opposed to the legislature. Right. That was passed by fairly narrowly, like 52 to 48 in November. The legislature can't touch it. But what they want to do is they want to do an end around on it, um, that if it's upheld by the state Supreme Court, um, they want to reduce the uh, taxes from, which would be 8% would be the highest marginal rate on that uh, income above $250,000 taxable income and $500,000 for married couples. Um, and they wanna reduce that to a 1% tax uh, so that their overall tax rate, if the flat tax uh, goes through, um, doesn't uh, exceed 4.5%, uh, which is what they currently pay. Uh, hold, hold on just a moment, because I wanna, I wanna dissect that, because I don't see how that passed. We have Voter Protection Act, which says if the people pass something, the legislature can't change it. And what we said is tack a two and a half percent surcharge onto incomes for people over a certain very high level. But what they're saying, oh, we're not doing that, but we're cutting the rates for those very people from two and a half percent down to one percent. Yes. So and, uh, that... and then then you tack the two and a half on that. I don't see how that, that now neither of us are lawyers, but I don't see how that pass passes legal muster because that seems to me to be directly defying what people clearly stated in the last election. Well, I actually think it is, is going to be legal because of the way they, they've structured it. So they're not touching Prop 208. So there's a yeah. 3.5% surcharge that they're still going to have to pay. But what they are changing is the, the state taxes that fund the rest of the general fund. And they're basically giving them like a freebie on that one. Um, so they're lowering their rate, which is currently four and a half percent. They will have a flat tax proposal that would eventually get that to two and a half if it were to pass. And then they want to knock it all the way down to one percent. So one plus three and a half is four and a half. So they're not actually affecting the Prop 208 monies or anything like that. They're simply affecting everybody else in terms of the way how much they're contributing to the rest of our general fund. And uh, so but they're also they're also not supposed to pass any law that's not in furtherance of the intent of what the voters voted on. 
right? Yeah, I mean, th that will be an interesting um, yeah, angle uh, to do it. And then, of course, on top of that, we have a uh, limit on how much you're allowed uh, constitutionally to, to spend on education uh, from the state. And that's what the state Supreme Court's looking at. Uh, Prop 2A tried to go around that with some language, and the Supreme Court's going to decide whether or not that's viable or not. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's, there's a lot of things. And the general idea that, that, that you need to tax, that taxing rich people somehow creates this horrible economic outcome is something we just don't find any evidence for. Uh, and uh, we think there's just a lot of hyperbole about that. And it's unfortunate because I think it's, it's why we try to put out as much information as we can uh, to give people a better sense of things. Out of time. David Wells, hope you come back uh, talking about the implications of, of uh, substantial radical cuts in our income tax rates, particularly for the highest income taxpayers. We will be back next week in the think tank if you want to reach me. My website is mikeoneal.org and that will get you to uh, email, Twitter, Facebook, social media, the rest. See you next week in the think tank. Coming to the edge, running on the water, coming through the fog, your sons and daughters. We are